Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Catechesis. This is lesson number 26, and we will today be considering Baptist Catechism number 30. I would, in fact, uh, encourage you to have a copy of the Catechism out in front of you as we go through these teachings. I think it is helpful to see where we are, where we have been, where we are going. Question 30 of the Baptist Catechism asks, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Um, What did the humiliation of Christ involve? Perhaps it would be another way to say it. And the answer given is a bit long compared to the other questions and answers. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. And so here we have a wonderful description of, a wonderful summary of, the humiliation of Christ, his being humbled. Uh, We should probably remember question 26 of the Baptist Catechism. I've been pointing back to that question and answer many times over the past number of weeks. Again, it is a kind of parent question. Um, It introduced the whole series of questions that followed, questions 27, 28, 29, now 30, and 31. Uh, Question 26 asked, what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Christ, as our Redeemer, executes the offices of a prophet, of a priest, of a king, both in his state of humiliation and exaltation. So, uh, question 26 did introduce this concept that Christ, fulfilling the offices of prophet, priest, and king, involved uh, this, this journey, this journey of humiliation followed by a journey of exaltation, and we're now considering uh, those two things. Very important doctrines, in fact, to realize that our Savior came in a humble state. The first thing that we are told here in question and answer 30 is that Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition. Here, uh, the birth of Christ is mentioned, and here we are uh, to consider the incarnation and the fact that the eternal Son of God took on human flesh. Uh, This was the first step in his uh, humiliation. Uh, And notice that Christ is said to be born, and that in a low condition, Christ was not born to a king. He was not born into a privileged position. Uh, He was not born rich and in luxury, but he was born in a low condition, He was born to poor parents who had nothing, Um, and he was laying in a manger after being wrapped in swaddling cloths. That is what Luke 2.7 says, and she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is very significant to consider how it is that the eternal Son of God came into the world. Uh, He came in a low condition. Uh, Our catechism also mentions that he was made under the law. Uh, He was born into this world. He was truly human, and as a son of Adam, uh, he was in fact born under the law of God. He was obligated to fulfill it, uh, being born a Hebrew under the old covenant. He was obligated to keep all that the law imposed upon him. And this is what Paul speaks to in Galatians 4.4, 4, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, Paul says. Of course, he was born under the law so that he might keep it and fulfill it on his behalf and on behalf of others. Uh, But here, our catechism is right to direct our attention to this fact that Christ was humiliated. He was brought into the world in this state of uh, humility by being born in a low condition and brought under the law. He willingly subjected himself uh, to the law as the eternal Son of God, so that he might keep it on our behalf. Our catechism also mentions that Christ underwent the miseries of this life. He endured them. Uh, When we think of the humiliation of Christ, our minds might ultimately go to the cross and to the grave, and we will end up there, um, as you can see. Uh, But we should not forget that Christ, um, being born into this world, did suffer in the whole of life. He endured sorrows of many kinds. He endured sufferings of many kinds, and this he did also on our behalf. Isaiah 53 is very famous, and in verse 3 we read that he, speaking of the Christ who was to come from Isaiah's vantage point, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looked forward to the life of Christ and predicted that the Christ would be a man of sorrows, he would be acquainted with grief, he would be despised, he would be rejected. And of course, we know that this proved true. Uh, Read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see that indeed Christ suffered in many ways, not only on the cross, but even prior to that, um, he was a man truly of sorrows. Our catechism lists Luke 22, 44 as a proof text for this. Uh, The passage says, And being in agony, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And here this does illustrate the point that the prophet was making years and years, hundreds of years before the coming of the Christ, uh, that the Christ would be acquainted with sorrow and grief. Uh, The word agony is very strong. Jesus here was in agony in the garden as he prepared to go to the cross. Um, He knew and knows what it is to experience agony and pain as we who are human do. Our catechism also says that he endured the wrath of God. And in Matthew 27, 46, we find these famous words, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, This is what Christ uttered while hanging on the cross. Um, He endured the wrath of God on our behalf, on behalf of all who would believe upon his name. Uh, The wrath of God was poured out upon him as he bore our sins, and that is the truth that our catechism is here uh, directing our attention towards. This was a part of his uh, humiliation, his coming in the form of man, his suffering on our behalf, his coming in a low and humble estate. And then our catechism mentions the cursed death of the cross. So he was hung on the tree, he bore the wrath of God in our place there, and he did die there on that tree, and to die on a cross uh, was a cursed thing. 
It indicated that, uh, indeed, uh, the, the wrath of God was upon the one who hung there, and w- that one was to be considered cursed of God. Uh, Philippians 2.8 makes mention of this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Paul says, even death on a cross, he is drawing our attention uh, to the terrible death that Christ suffered and that he endured. He did not just die, but he was hanged on a tree. And then our catechism says, in being buried. So from the cross, and after he died, he was put into the grave. Matthew twelve forty says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Christ spoke these words, um, obviously, prior to going to the cross and being put into the grave. Uh, and here he was predicting Uh, that he would die and that he would be buried and that he would remain in the grave for three days' time. He would be buried and then on the third day uh, rise again. And in Mark 15, 45, we read this, and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Uh, This is a reference um, uh, to Joseph of Arimathea, who requested to have the body of Christ. He was willing to identify with Christ in this low point. Uh, and at great risk to himself and at great cost to himself, he took Jesus, Jesus' body and buried it properly. So he was buried. And then lastly, we are told that he continued under the power of death for a time. So now we are brought to the low point, if you will, of Christ's humiliation, of Christ, the eternal Son of God, being brought low. He continued under the power of death for a time and I think our catechism mentions Mark 15, uh, 46 as a proof text here. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Uh, so here is uh, the low point of Christ's humiliation. And you are familiar with the story, I'm sure. From there, uh, from that sealed tomb, the Christ would raise from the dead, uh, beginning his ascent, beginning uh, the process of his exaltation to the right hand of the Father, where all authority in heaven on earth would be granted to him. And we will come to that in the next question, to consider the exaltation of Christ. But first, we must uh, fix our minds upon his humiliation and consider it carefully. Uh, There are a number of questions that I might press upon you by way of application as we consider that Jesus was despised and rejected, uh, as we consider that he was lowly and humble, we should also remember that many despised and rejected him as the Christ because of this. They were expecting a Christ, a Savior, but in their minds and hearts, they were awaiting a mighty conqueror, a great king, a glorious Savior. Uh, But when Jesus came, he was none of those things at first. Instead, he was humble, meek, and mild. He was thoroughly unimpressive in terms of the way that the world thinks. He was not rich, but he was poor. He was not powerful. He was weak. It was not what the world was expecting. And so, as I have said, many despised and rejected Jesus as the Christ because of the fact that he was lowly and humble. So a question that I might press upon you is this, will you associate with a humble Savior? Will you 
Place your faith in one who was poor, mistreated, despised, and rejected. One who washed the feet of his own disciples, who was beaten, crucified, killed, placed into a grave. Will you associate with a humble Savior such as that? Will you trust in a humble Savior? If we are to receive Christ, we must receive him as he was and is. First, a Savior who came in the most humble way. I might also ask, will you suffer for his namesake? Uh, This is what Christ's disciples are called to. We do experience many blessings in this world. Uh, God is gracious and kind to us. We enjoy many good things that come to us from his hand, but we should not forget that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to suffer for his namesake. In John 15, 20 and 21, we find these words spoken by Christ. Remember the word that I said to you, he spoke to his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And so he offered this warning to his disciples. They should prepare themselves to to suffer as he suffered, to live a lowly and humble life just as he lived a lowly and humble life. Again, this does not mean that we will not experience blessings in this life. We do, by the grace of God. But every disciple of Christ should prepare himself and herself and be willing to suffer ridicule and persecution for the sake of Christ We should expect that it will come in one form or another. Uh, They persecuted our master. Uh, They will persecute us as well. And will you serve Christ as he served? That is another point of application to make. Will you uh, take up the mindset of Christ and be humble just as he was humble? Be willing to serve just as he was willing to serve? Are you willing to lay down your life for others just as he did In John 13, 13 and following, we read, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It is not our view that Christ was calling all of his disciples to literally and regularly wash one another's feet. Uh, Rather, here Christ was giving an example to us. Uh, We should have this disposition to us, uh, a servant-hearted disposition always, and we should mimic him in this regard. I'll close by reading Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I think this is probably the most famous verse Uh, Regarding the uh, humiliation and eventual exaltation of Christ, it is one that I cited many times in the sermon uh, just this morning. I hadn't made the connection until now, in fact, uh, between the sermon text and the catechism question for the week, but it is is fitting. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 1 and following, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there we have just experienced or heard a description of the humiliation of Christ. But the apostle continues saying, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There we have a description of his exaltation. Having been raised from the grave, he was highly exalted to the right hand of the Father. And we should experience, expect to experience this sort of exaltation also. Not because we have won the victory or because we deserve it in and of ourselves, but because Christ has earned it for us. We are to live a life of humility, a life of dependence upon God, a life of self-sacrificial service, just as our Savior did, trusting that the Lord in due time will raise us up and we will be exalted with Christ in the heavenly places, the new heavens and new earth for all eternity. What a wonderful hope that we have. But if we are to experience this, we must be found in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We must trust only in him for the forgiveness of our sins and for the hope of life everlasting. Brothers and sisters, until next time, abide in Christ.